0: Hello, and welcome to the show, Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower.
1: And I'm Charles Rogers, who, uh, yes, let's get this out of the way, has been informed after recording the anniversary episode, thank you, Bradley, Uh, (laughs) that I could very easily fix the whole host Thing by simply saying, and I'm your host, Charles Rogers. The problem with that is that I've been doing things this way for a year and change terrifies me. (laughs) So I'm going to eat this one. This is entirely on me, Bradley. I am inflicting this pain on myself. Well, after I just monopolized the entire intro, we have a little bit of housekeeping before (laughs) we get started. Okay. This week we have the thing Charles fucked up, but. It's a thing Charles fucked up that Charles or Bradley didn't catch. This was caught by a listener. Uh, who I'm not going to put on blast. Uh, but if he wants to, I will tag who it was on Twitter. But a longtime listener uh, alerted me on Twitter. So I had said that, and Bradley, I'm going to put this on you partly too. I had said that Mark Hamill had voiced Luke Skywalker in Mandalorian season two, and Book of Boba Fett was using the Respoiler. That is inaccurate. Uh, <sighs> it is the Respoiler both times. This is apparently mentioned in the gallery.
0: I don't 40? remember. I need to watch Actually? it again.
1: Or some some behind the scenes footage, uh, and and I just missed it, or I didn't watch that bit of it. Well, it's I only not watched a terrible fuck up. I mean, you yeah, were
0: mostly right.
1: I was mostly correct, but uh yes, that is an error on my part. So sorry to the fucking computer.
0: Right, I was gonna They're say not to the AI you <laughs>
1: properly. <laughs> my bad, AI. Like <laughs> Well, technically, sorry. technically you should apologize. Me.
0: Right, I was gonna say you should apologize because now
1: <laughs> I am terribly sorry, robot overlords. Please don't come for me. Uh, I also have a not necessarily a thing Charles fucked up, but a thing Charles found interesting about some previous criticism. So you know how Boba doesn't fucking talk in episode six? Yes. Like he's there and he doesn't talk. So apparently what happened was that wasn't the script, the original script. Apparently Tamura Morrison requested that a lot of Boba's lines be changed over to Finnick. Now I've read two different reasons why I have heard some people saying that it's because he thought ming Wen's part wasn't big enough. I have seen some people saying that he just didn't think Boba as a character would be that talkative. Either way uh apparently the Boba not talking was a Tamara Morrison choice.
0: Hmm. I mean I I think I I see it with the Fennec Shan thing because we did get her in this a lot because they've been together this whole time but I do like that she is essentially taking on this role of, like, first lieutenant. And it would make sense thematically that your first lieutenant would be giving everybody commands, not you necessarily directly.
1: There so would be a like... layer of chain of command. Right. Here. So it, and makes it makes sense, sense for yeah. Fennec to be enforcing that. Yeah. Like, I, I think a lot of us were upset because, you know, it felt like Boba was being shafted, mm-hmm. which I still do feel like that to an extent. Knowing that it was a Tamara Morrison choice, I'm like, okay, yeah, you know what, that makes a lot of sense. I also have a side fun fact that I discovered while researching this, which is uh, I discovered Ming-Na Wen's first television role. And I could not believe where Ming-Na Wen originated.
0: That's, um, okay, wait. So as far as I know, personally, their earliest thing was Mulan. So please enlighten me on what her first thing
1: So was. I'm going to give you some clues, Bradley, and I'm not going to okay. make you do this for, it was actually a conversation I was having with Jordan, our artist, and Aaron, who's a frequent guest on the show, that I discovered this. I made them guess. It took the two of them about 10 minutes to arrive oh God, at it. Okay. I'm not going to take up 10 minutes. Yeah, I'm please, going to give please. you a few hints on what okay. Ming-Na Wen's very first television role was. Uh, So hint number one, it is a children's show. Hint number two, uh, it aired for a very long time, but she first appeared in it in the 80s. Hint number three, there are puppets in it. And hint number four is I have a complicated relationship with this show.
0: So, I mean, unless you and Elmo have like a really (laughs) weird like thing, I don't know if it's, okay, Sesame Street is my first
1: guess. Okay, that is wrong, but you, okay. it's a good guess. It good is guess. a okay, very cool. good guess. I believe they aired on the same network.
0: Ooh, okay, what else? Okay, kid's show with puppets. You have a complicated relationship with the show. I this have a show. complicated
1: relationship with this show.
0: Okay, what's your complicated
1: relationship? Let me phrase this in a non-spoilery way. I am very used to hearing the name of this show said out loud to me.
0: Okay, 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 okay. So, I'm, in my head, I, I'm being a, a B two uh, or a B one battle droid or whatever, and I'm like, "Roger, Roger, 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 <laughs> Roger." But I'm like saying your name in my head over and over again. So it's Mister Rogers' Neighborhood, though. It is Mister
1: Rogers' Neighborhood. Okay,
0: okay. Cool, Ming cool.
1: wins. Yes, Ming wins. First TV appear, first appearance that I can find in anything ever was trumpet player number three in two episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood in, I believe, 1985 or 87, I want to say. I don't have it up in front of me. That was a fun fact that I found. The last thing before we dive into the episode is they gave us a fucking release date for something.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. It's almost like we can plan out some of our year now.
1: It's almost like we can plan exactly when the show is going to happen
0: thank god
1: and they gave it to us three months in advance thank you lucasfilm for doing this for us
0: well not only did they give us the date of kenobi they you know they've also previously given us the episode number so it makes planning for our on our end like what we're gonna cover so much easier because like we know that there's only six episodes so we know like okay now that we know the start date, we know how many episodes we're going to have, what dates we're recording, what everything. So it's great. Like we know our whole month of May and uh, I'm sorry, not May um, of, June. of June is of June. set in stone. So we're great.
1: Yes. Yes. Bradley and I were just having a extended meeting, hour long meeting, literally just about the schedule and nothing else trying to work it out, um, which we're very happy to have an actual release date. Bad, do Bad Batch next, please.
0: Yeah, Do I was gonna say, hopefully, hopefully by next week we'll have Bad Batch information and then we can figure out the rest.
1: So we have the title of the show, which is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Everybody calls it Kenobi, I think because people have been calling it Kenobi since like 2014, mm. 2015, when we first started hearing rumors of a Kenobi movie and people have just been calling it Kenobi. Yeah, uh, We got a release date and we also got a poster, which... Uh, Features Obi-Wan on a mysterious unknown desert planet full of I sand. Wonder, I
0: wonder what desert planet that is. I George. wonder
1: what planet it's on. There's not a lot to overanalyze in this trailer, and somehow people have found a way to do that.
0: Right, poster. And
1: it's over the lightsaber or the t- poster. Yeah, we haven't gotten the trailer. It's the lightsaber he's holding.
0: Okay. People
1: are zooming like super in on it, and they're like, Oh, it kind of looks like uh, the Skywalker saber. And so I kind of zoomed in on it and kind of tilted my head to the side and went, I mean, yeah, I could kind of <laughs> see that.
0: I mean, I guess. Right.
1: I, I, I don't know if it's that deep.
0: I mean, I don't think it guess. matters. <laughs> I think it's just his lightsaber, but okay, whatever. Like, it's not a big deal.
1: I, I'm being cautiously optimistic about the show. I, I like that it's a limited series. I like that it's divorced from the Mandalorian stuff yeah. that it's, it's going to kind of stand on its own. Uh, hopefully, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi is in it. That would be nice.
0: <laughs> right. Like watch it be the whole entire thing is like, Oh, just kidding. It has nothing to do with Kenobi. It's like just
1: kidding. I've, I've heard some interesting like rumors and we don't cover rumors on the show. But I have heard some interesting rumors of characters that are going to pop up. And I'm like, oh, that's super interesting. Uh, yeah. This show sounds awesome. Uh, we do know that Ewan uh, McGregor has said that Hayden Christensen is playing scenes as Anakin Skywalker as well.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: We don't know the context, but we know that that Hayden is playing scenes as Anakin.
0: Interesting, because, okay, so we'll, we'll do a quick little Bradley's book corner. Um, so I, I told you I was reading the second Thrawn book, um, and I'm almost done with it. And what this book is making me realize is, um, how similar, I mean, I know it's stupid to say, but like I've always divorced the character of Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader as two separate characters. Like I've never really seen them as the same character. And this book does a really interesting job of like showing you like Anakin and, Darth Vader are literally the same like the way that they act the things that they do and stuff like it's just one is in the guise of I'm doing everything right the other one is in the guise of I'm just the villain now it doesn't matter like so it's very interesting like dynamic and when I'm reading it or listening to it it's funny how Anakin talks versus how Darth Vader presents himself he's very like stoic a little bit more And it's funny because now I'm like, oh, we might be able to hopefully see that on screen because you forget they're the same person sometimes.
1: Yeah, I don't know if we've had a good on-screen representation of that necessarily, because when he shows up in Rebels, other than being a very good pilot, there's not a whole lot to connect him directly to Anakin, except except when like because when you know Ahsoka slices his half his mask off. Right. But other than that, you know, they don't fight the same way. They don't move the same way. They don't really speak the same way in that. Uh, the original trilogy, Rogue One, obviously that's portraying a very different Vader than, you know, that was not done with Hayden Christian's performance in mind. So it could be mm. interesting to get more into that duality between them.
0: It's funny because you said everybody calls it Kenobi and then with this show, Book of Boba, we call it Book of Boba, but it's not called Book of Boba. It's called, it's called The Book, Book of Boba, Boba Fett. Fett. So it's funny how we call it Book of Boba, and then that's not even the name of the show. I
1: don't think we've ever fucking said the name of a show right. We've always said The Mandalorian is Mando. Mando yeah, season one, Mando season two, Book of Boba. Kenobi, you always want to shorten it. Bad Batch. I feel like the first one we're going to get right is Ahsoka.
0: Because <laughs> it's just called Ahsoka. <laughs>
1: it's just called ahsoka how
0: for for now we don't mess
1: that up we don't know if they'll
0: change the name (laughs) they
1: could change the i mean they had a logo made and everything like hell
0: what if it's called like ahsoka the search for Thrawn? like i mean
1: oh my god like some terrible fucking yeah 90s tv show the search for ezra bridger (laughs) the search for ezra bridger now that we've talked uh entirely too long about the One single Kenobi image and one quote from Ewan McGregor. Let's dive into the episode. Bradley, do you want to read us in so we are not sitting here all night?
0: This week, the Book of Boba Fett comes to a close with The War of Mos Espa. Boba rides his rancor, the people of Freetown help defeat the Pikes, and the Mandalorian and Grogu are reunited. Charles, what's one thing you liked and one thing you did not?
1: God damn, the Grogu puppet is impressive. Like, the little it's details so on it. It's getting like, so good. Like, the way that he, like, grabs Mando's thumb at one point is just tiny little motion you'd never notice. The way that the puppet just moves, like, good lord, the puppetry on on this thing is unbelievable. Like, that is a real baby Yoda.
0: Yeah. It's that
1: real. is an actual small Yoda that is there. I no longer believe that this is a puppet. Like, I, I... I, I do not believe this anymore. Uh, that was the thing that I liked, definitely. Uh, and, and also, I, I sort of like the overall vibe of the episode, too. I thought it was fun. Um, it was very like those movies that they split into two parts that were big in like the late 2000s. And you would have all the setup in the first movie. And then the second movie was just like an extended climax. This felt like just an extended climax, mm-hmm. basically, with everything coming to heel. And I do love that vibe. One thing that I didn't like. One thing I didn't like, I did not think that there was necessarily enough payoff to Boba and Fennec's relationship through the series. They had their little scrap at the beginning over the spice, which we'll talk about. Uh, But then Fennec basically goes away for half the episode, which is an issue in and of itself. But I would have preferred to see some sort of, of... clear conclusion to the arc of the relationship of these two characters because it's there, but a lot of it is in just the subtext. They never really come out and necessarily say, you know, you were right. I was wrong, et cetera, et cetera. I would have preferred to see that. I felt like it would have landed a little more emotionally there. I'm also going to do a didn't like for the entire series up to this point. I feel like they played a little too secretive with some of the stuff that was important in the finale particularly Cad Bane I felt like if Cad Bane was going to be the final villain he should have been introduced or at least mentioned a lot sooner I felt like his stuff was undercut somewhat by the fact Mm -hmm. he basically just comes out of nowhere to be the final boss and he's not mentioned up until this point so that was a sort of that was a couple of things I liked and didn't like Bradley why don't you give us your like and dislike?
0: Um, yeah, I agree with you slightly. I just wanted to agree with you real quick before I did mine, because I, I, think I love problem, it when
1: people agree with me. Please agree with me more.
0: Uh, I think the problem with the Cadvane villain is that I know I, this is stupid to say, but it's a little fan service-y in the fact that it's like they expect us to know who he is. And it's like, well, you're watching a Star Wars thing, right? So you should know who every single fucking person in the background is. You should know who every villain is without us having to explain and handhold and tell you who it is. But for the terms of like just a television show and like introducing this to a brand new person, like you should be able to watch this show and not have to explain anything to anybody. They should just be able to start from the very beginning and enjoy it and know things as the show progresses And so I think the problem with introducing Cad Bane as the villain in that aspect is that people don't know who he is if you don't tell us who he is.
1: They didn't do any mention of him before he shows up in episode six. There was nothing. And in episode six, he's like, I am an ominous enforcer, which is cool and fine. Mm -hmm. And then episode seven really wants to lean into the history between Boba and Cad Bane. History which... even if you watched all of the released visual media yeah you would not know necessarily (laughs) that history because it was in an arc that never got made right from the clone wars so all right like and dislike
0: yeah like and dislike sorry i i know we're gonna keep this is what's gonna happen this whole entire episode because we don't know how to function without a guest i know it's so hard to talk about this stuff um okay uh, one thing I liked, um, I really enjoyed the Raincore. Um, I thought that that plot line serviced me in a way that I was happy enough. Um, Did I'm you trying, enjoy
1: getting serviced by the Raincore? I was, I was trying to turn
0: this. In, I was trying to turn this into a sexual thing. Um,
1: oh without, no! It, it, was there. it was very clearly there, okay, and you cool. need to just embrace it. Listen, I was I trying have to spent, be subtextual, but listen, you know. I have spent this entire show. Uh, and the High Republic comics run Coming to the realization that I am a monster fucker It right. is okay Bradley If you want to join me In being serviced by the Rancor
0: So I was going to say I really enjoyed the Rancor Except for the fact that we didn't Get a name I was that really hoping like, Because they set it up in I forgot the about that yeah, He literally says out. what are we going to call you And then they never gave him a name That pissed me off so much like, I wanted him to be like, whoa, Java Jr., like, stop. You <laughs> know what I mean? Like, whatever he's gonna what call the fuck like, Yeah, come on, Stinky. Like, let's go. Like, you know, I, I needed him to say something, or call him something, or being like, oh, that's, and be like, oh, that's your Rancor? And he's like, yeah, this is my little chubby boy, or whatever his name is. Like, I don't know, but that, I, I don't want to say that's my dislike, because I, that's a tiny little, like, blip. Nitpick. But yeah, it's a nitpick, but Because he doesn't really need a name. It's a
1: like with an asterisk.
0: Right. Well, It's It's a thing
1: you liked, but it could have been better.
0: Right. It's like the only reason why he would even need a name is for merchandising reasons, you know? Instead of just Boba Fett riding Rancor, like it would be like Boba Fett riding Stinky. Like, you know, (laughs) that's all it would be for. Um, One thing I did not like. I I agree I didn't like the Fennec Shan thing uh, in that she just kind of is here and then she's there. Like, and that's it. Uh, that's one thing i didn't really like but the my major 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 thing i did not like was that there was no resolution to the tuscan storyline um in the fact that they wrote it off as just a hey we didn't tell boba that you know we killed the tuscans and then it's just like cat bane's just like oh yeah, by the way, the Pikes killed the Tuskins, And then Boba's like, oh, I'm mad. And then he, and Fennec's like, no, you're not. You need to relax. And he's like, okay, that's fine. And then he forgets it. And it's not a thing. And then they never mentioned the Tuskens ever again the whole entire episode. And I just, like, I needed the Tuskens to all band together and come help Boba in the final I,
1: fight. I have a note where when he ran to get the Rancor, I thought he was going to go get, like, surviving Tuskens. Like, I got really yeah. hopeful for a second... That that was going to be, and then it it wasn't. And I loved the Rancor. and When he showed up on the Rancor, I thought it was badass, but I couldn't help feeling a little disappointed. You almost
0: needed them to be in it to help the whole entire arc of the whole entire story to kind of make sense.
1: Because here's the problem with that. I was going to talk about it later, but I guess I'll talk about it now. The problem with the way the Tusken thing came in in this episode was it still had no bearing whatsoever on the plot yeah none like the pikes killed the tuscans which for the record we all saw coming yeah like it was super obvious the surprise was that boba didn't know but the fact that the pikes killed the tuscans exists for no other purpose than to get boba emotional it does not contribute to the plot in any way And Finnick is there to talk him down from getting emotional.
0: So instantly, like it's like very instant.
1: It's very instant. Like it's not even a big like dramatic moment. He gets more
0: emotional when Cad Bane is talking shit to him about his past. Like, yeah,
1: and like I, I feel like you could have once again, you could have done the exact same story beats. Yeah do it slightly differently so you don't wipe the Tuscans out or do this slightly more sensitively and tell exactly the same story. So yeah, I 100% agree with you that that was basically unresolved and just vestigial hanging on to this episode. Well, what
0: they needed to do, and I, I think this would have been the easy solution, was when the people of Freetown came to join the fight, being like, look, here's the people of Freetown. Also, the Tuscans who are chummy with the people of Freetown, because they work together Because they to kill the Kraytrakens. Oh, my dragons. God. Like, bring they're them fucking... in to all together. That, and they would have joined easily, because they could have gone and asked the Tuscans been like, hey, you guys want to come help us do Boba Fett? And then they'd be like, oh, yeah, we heard about that guy through other things. Because, da 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 the warrior survived the massacre and she brings in the rest of the Tusken people to help Boba. And then they stay and they live in the town and everybody's happy dappy at the very end.
1: Yeah. Like it, it almost feels wrong to do a, the people of Tatooine band together without including the Tuskens, especially hey. since the show spent so much time and Mando season two set up that Freetown has good relations with the Tuskens. Now Yeah, I'm, This will perpetually annoy me about the show probably until the day I die. Yeah. How this was handled. Yeah. Because uh, it probably is the most glaring, non-overlookable problem in the show was the the handling of the Tusken storyline after episode two.
0: Take us in, Bradley. Chapter seven begins with Boba and Finnick in the ruins of the sanctuary. Mando promises a garrison is on the way, and the mods suggest taking a stand in town. Meanwhile, Cad Bane confers with the Pike Syndicate, who reveal it was they who killed the Tuscans. Cad Bane has a plan to draw Boba out. Title card, in the name of honor.
1: Uh, I want to talk briefly about the, the little conflict between Fennec and Boba, mm-hmm. when Den is like, uh, yeah, Freetown will help, but no Spice, and Boba's like, okay, and Phoenix like, well, hold on. Hold on here. Because uh, here's the thing. We got student loans. <laughs> and that's a lot of money that you're throwing away. Right. And I, I like both that they're having a disagreement about it. But I also like how they're handling it. Because it's not played as like an argument. They're having a discussion about it. It's very clear that Boba's the one making the call. But he listens to Fennec, mm. and instead of just saying, no, we're not doing that, he explains to her why they're not doing that, and it and walks her through it. So I like that aspect to their relationship. I Those two, like, we need another season, if only so we have more time to spend with those two.
0: Yeah, I, I do feel that, like, we got some hints of, like, a good relationship there, but I just need a little more. Like, I need something else. Like, it just wasn't enough.
1: We need moments like the dinner scene in episode four. You know, we need moments where, like the conversation at the end of the same episode where they're just talking. We need moments like in episode one where she leans over and it's like, do you want me to kill him? Right. Like, we needed more small moments like that, especially as the show progressed.
0: And I also kind of feel like, if anything, they should have taken the Mando episode out and shrunk it down and put in a Fennec central episode that was just about Fennec, just from her point of view, just about her character, one whole arc featuring just her. I think that would have made the show stronger
1: because I feel like they tried to do that in the mods episode. Or like... or they do it as a B plot in the Mando episode. Like in include her in the B plot of that.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying. So do half and half, like do half yeah. Mando. Half her, yeah, that would have worked. Or, then or you could involve her,
1: yeah, or involve her once they reach Tatooine. Don't wait until the end of the episode. There's That's true, I see what you're saying, yeah, though.
0: But she needed like a more central theme, like she needed her own arc because I feel like she doesn't have one in the show. Like it's not, or if it is, it's not very strong because she doesn't it's change, not, she doesn't, not, nothing happens to her.
1: We'll get to it, but she's kind of changed by the the last little sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it wasn't a big dramatic kind of change, nor was it very well telegraphed to the audience at all. Right. Uh, Mock Shai is a piece of shit.
0: <laughs> well, karma's real, so.
1: Yep, yep. We'll get so to that later in the episode.
0: Maybe something will happen to him later on. We don't know.
1: This fucking asshole. Oh my God. Mock well, Shai uh, he isn't he
0: isn't away. and but and then and the other way though he does reveal like he's like hey whoa 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 like i didn't sign on to like kill garza like he's like that's not what i wanted
1: well here's the thing right because it's uh it's all practicality and it's the thing with like the general pike allies yeah is their whole thing is what's doing the right thing for their bottom line he didn't want to blow up He doesn't want to not blow up Mos Espa because he cares about it at all. It's his city that he owns. He doesn't want his property destroyed. Right. Like, I think it's very telling. I watched Star Wars Explained, uh, Alex Damon's review, and I'm going to reference it several times because it really changed the way that I looked at this episode on the second viewing. But I believe he references in that review that this is a big difference between the pipe group and Boba's group is Boba's on the ground in Mos Espa fighting Mm -hmm. and the Pikes and their allies are holed up in a desert survey office in the next town over like cowering behind their guards and sending foot soldiers out to die for them
0: yeah yeah
1: Pikes I have in my notes Pikes are all about business versus Boba who's all about people I, I do like that they refer to it as the Fet Gatra in this scene
0: hmm yeah
1: I, you know, I like the mark that it is an actual family now. A small one that <laughs> we're about to try to blow up, but, you know, <laughs> right, the Fetgatra right. is a real thing.
0: There you go. It's you canon now.
1: It's canon now. Up next, a familiar
0: X-Wing lands in Pelimoto's hangar. Unexpectedly, it's just Grogu coming to give her a visit. r d 2 reveals his name to her, and she does not like it. And she knows his metal shirt that he's wearing.
1: So we get a, a Rogue One style over the shoulder X-Wing shot as it approaches <laughs> Moss Eisley, which I wanted to point out because I, I call it the 3D shot okay. in Rogue One. Uh, there's a few shots like it that are very clearly in the movie because it's going to look impressive on the 3D right. on the IMAX. Uh, this is that same shot real fast before I get to my one big note about this segment. Um, dungworms are apparently from an episode one video game um, okay that they're a holdover from legends i thought that was weird it was in the star wars explain easter eggs video i forgot to write down which video game it was but this is not the first time we've seen dungworms and i (laughs) thought that was an odd fun fact okay cool r2 d2 and pelimoto interacting is everything to me
0: like, why is that, one, why is that not already happened? And then two, can this happen again, please? Can
1: it happen more? Because you know that R2-D2 canonically swears, like, every other word. Right. Like, that's why he beats. He's constantly being bleeped out. It's like one of our TikToks that I'm using the droid bleep for, but it's every single word he says.
0: And I just realized, too, like, I, I never thought about their dynamic, because you, you forget that R2-D2 is a SAS queen, and you know palimoto is like she doesn't give like take shit from droids like she tells them what to do like she she doesn't like go like she knows she is better than them she's like i i am your boss you listen to me and it's funny that like he's trying to sass her and she's like she's like hold your like bolts or whatever she says to him
1: i loved it i love i love that you can tell the sass that's like being thrown between these two individuals and one of them you can't understand what they're saying or even see him he's stationary he doesn't move i i just absolutely i think it's a testament to amy sedaris's acting uh as well as the sound design for r2d2 yeah
0: and i you know i'm gonna start the petition now i want everybody to know this i want this to be on the record like i think amy sedaris needs to be the easter egg that f- carries through like every star wars show So, I need her to be in every single one, regardless of timeline, regardless of anything. Like, she needs to be in at least one episode of every single Star Wars TV show because that way it'll, she'll be that interconnecting, you know, Marvel, whatever thing that connects all the things.
1: Pelimoto is the Nick Fury of
0: the Star Wars. She needs to be in every single content. Like, Maybe not Kenobi because it might not make sense for her to be in Kenobi. Or maybe it does. I don't know.
1: Uh, you know? Young Pelimoto. You could have a very young Pelimoto. Holy shit. Yes. Like a, like a little little five like or six-year-old weird girl with yes. a little curly hair and oh sassing off at the adults. Yes. Like, I can see.
0: Yes yes oh my god no i want her to bump into obi-wan kenobi on tatooine and be like
1: hey watch it
0: like you know kind of thing like how fucking funny would that be she's like watch it slimo like
1: i would lose my goddamn mind if they did the jetta scene with uh the fucking guys from new Hope. but it's Pelimoto moto just randomly being in
0: everything yeah she'd be like hey i'm walking here like you know
1: <laughs> oh, oh my god my
0: okay god. please 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 john favreau uh, i don't know if you have any power or anything but um
1: john please. i know you listen to the show uh <laughs> it's not too late uh you can you can call deborah chow and have them insert a scene into. that's right
0: just add it just have add a it in credit
1: scene on kenobi just uh, come on give this I to mean, us sh-
0: she literally has some of the best scenes in this episode. Like. And honestly, I was shocked that she was in this show so much that she was because I felt like she's kind of like only in like hot second in Mando. And so when she finally has room to breathe and like actually do stuff on this show, like she's fucking hilarious. And she's one of the best characters on the show.
1: Her chemistry with David Pescesi in their comedic interactions together was gold. Yeah. Like I mean more of that. absolutely gold. Uh I, I will have several points where I note how much I love the major domo in this episode. Yeah. But his scenes with Pelimoto are easily some of the funniest stuff in the episode, just the way those two play off each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I do like the joke that she she the meta joke that she brings up where she goes, Grogu, that's a terrible name. I'm not gonna call you that. Where In reality, we all don't call him that either. We call him Baby Yoda.
1: So I have sort of an issue with the writing around the prequels in that some of it did not take the prequels very seriously. Uh, Like it was clear that the people writing some of this stuff just thought it was ridiculous and was poking fun at it. And it was in a very mean-spirited way. I felt like this is what that should have been. Grogu is a stupid name. Yeah, it really is. We all love the character so much. When the show makes fun of how stupid the name is, it hits different. I, I do, I do love that joke. Also, Amy Sedaris delivers it, and
0: right. I think that's part of the why it works because she's not doing it in one a malicious way, but it's the way her delivery of the line is as well. She's like, she's like, she's like, what? That's a terrible name. Like, because he doesn't necessarily. He can't speak back and he can't tell her like, you're being mean to me. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a funny, like playful kind of thing. Um, so it's just hilarious how she does it. I love how that like, she speaks to R2-D2 who tells her that, which is hilarious too. <laughs> back in Moss Espa, the gang waits for the Freetown reinforcements. While the rest of the gang is split up between all the crime boss territories, Boba confronts Cad Bane. Bane reveals who actually killed the Tuskens. Fennec talks Boba down, terminating the negotiations.
1: We finally have resolution to a point that I have been bringing up for weeks. And that is where the fuck did the Queen's ship land in Phantom Menace? We finally have some resolution because the tracking shot of Mos Espa, Uh if we look at it, we can kind of see what actually looks like the edge of it. So it looks like it is surrounded by desert and it looks like it's not as sprawling as some of the other shots made it appear like it's big, but it's mostly concentrated in that sinkhole and kind of around one side and we can see kind of the edge of it. So it's perfectly conceivable that you would park a starship outside and just walk into one of the shitty used car dealers in the edge of town and bank the entire fate of the galaxy on it.
0: Well, also if you're trying to avoid quote unquote, the airport, because we do see you know when they, they are of...
1: they are trying to avoid the huts R- right. they are trying to avoid drawing attention from the huts, so it would make sense to land outside on the right, outskirts right, right. and and walk in walk a few. when in reality, Masispa looks like this. Mm-hmm. When they're divvying everyone up, when they say Kersanton is in Trandoshan territory, my first thought was why? yeah. <laughs> same i was like um that's a
0: great idea
1: that's a great idea boba well it's almost like getting kersantan to literally the one place he's surrounded by people he wants to murder
0: right it's also too like i even ignoring the actual plot of they all get attacked you know at the same time if he is in that place that means trandoshans don't like him either you know what i mean like they're all gonna be like oh there's a fucking wookiee like just walking around our area like You know, Not only a Wookiee, but it's
1: a Wookiee who, like, kills us and rips our limbs off. Right, which they've heard about already,
0: because they all would know it by now that he did that earlier. So it is just a strange choice to have him there. I feel like that's just kind of like one of those cheap shots where it's kind of like, well, they have a relationship together, so let's just put him in that area.
1: we will find out later why Chrysanthemum was put in the Ocean territory. Yeah narratively speaking there's no way boba boba in fact quite specifically does not know what's about to happen in the next sequence right but we the viewer can go oh Cadbane says uh if that's not the quactor calling the stiffling slimy <laughs> i hate is- when
0: star wars does this
1: <laughs> well you get look if i had a nickel for every time a character said if that's not the quactor calling the stiffling slimy in a live action TV show, in a scene with Boba Fett in it, and Boba Fett is one of the people involved, I would have two nickels, <laughs> which is not a lot of nickels, but it is weird that it's happened twice. Right. Uh, it's the exact line that Boba delivers to Cosca Reeves in Mando season two's finale. Oh,
0: interesting.
1: So I believe Star Wars Explained raised the point that uh, it is. Either he raised it or somebody else raised it, that it's possible it's a thing Cadbane says, and Boba picked it up from him. Huh. Uh, Cadbane says, You know it's true, uh, giving me search your feelings, you know it to be search true. Search your guys. feelings. Search your feelings. Know you know it to be true. Yes, we're doing that again. I do want to highlight very specifically the fact that. Fennec Shand is 100% right in this scene Mm -hmm. when she talks Boba down. And this kind of illustrates why he needs her. Right. Because she's ever the pragmatist. He's very, very emotionally driven. And so he needs her to balance him out and make smart choices. Uh, And she needs him to stop her from just murdering people. (laughs) When they annoy her, which... But I thought it was interesting the way that scene played out with yeah.
0: them. I again, I feel like yeah, she was there for that scene, but then it, like immediately, you know, in the next scene, she's gone, like and off to do something. So it's just kind of weird that they kind of didn't keep yep, her. Around. she has
1: one last little sequence, and she's gone for most of the rest of the episode before turning back up in spectacular fashion. Right, but we will get to because that's probably my favorite scene in the whole episode.
0: Suddenly, the rest of the group is in trouble as the local syndicates attack the Gamorian Guards, the Mods, and Chrysantin. Fennec heads off to handle the bosses and saves the Mods along the way.
1: Oh, so that's why we put Chrysantin in the Trandoshan territory, <laughs> so <laughs> he can have a fucking giant Wookiee on Trandoshan fight that is metal as hell.
0: You know, I love this scene because I, I actually, I did feel the emotional weight of both the Gomorian guards being attacked, which is weird because we haven't really spent a lot of time with them to, like, really yeah, care too much. Yeah,
1: those guys, like, I felt genuinely, genuinely like, bad sad. when they yeah. died.
0: You were like, holy shit. Like, they like, didn't
1: even need to die. They died to raise the emotional stakes. Like, yeah. they died because there's got to be casualties. I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call it fridging because this is a situation where there are going to be casualties and they are foot soldiers but like i right for not knowing a lot about them i genuinely felt just from their performances and their role in the story alone bad when they died
0: i didn't like though how they kind of we well we don't really know until later on but they fake us on chrysanthemum being quote-unquote killed um
1: yeah they make it look like chrysanthemum like he's being
0: overwhelmed yeah
1: Here's the thing. I know Black Chrysanthemum. That's not how Black Chrysanthemum is gonna go out.
0: <laughs>
1: no, ma'am. No, I did not buy for a single second that that Wookie was a goner.
0: Gotcha. See, did not on, buy. On it. the one hand, I didn't think so, but on the other hand, I was thinking like, oh, this is one of those things where like, oh, well, they don't really know what to do with him anymore. Like, writing wise, they're like, eh, we'll just kill him because we don't really have that much to do anymore.
1: And my final note for this sequence, as, as Finnick saves the mods, um, I have in my notes written here and I, I cannot sum it up better than this. Finnick Shand, uh, punch me please.
0: <laughs> She's so cool. So she kind of relates them and it's like a nice thing because I, I like how she almost I feel like Drash kind of looks to Fennec almost like a surrogate mother figure. It's very quick. It takes like it's a hot second in the scene. And then when especially when Fennec's like, oh manners, I appreciate that. Like it's a it was weird that thing. line
1: where I noted Fennec Shand hit me, please. Cause like yeah, she's so cool and awesome. She like she she flips down and like. Then she has the little one-liners and I'm like... Right. And so I this love is you. actually...
0: This scene makes me think like this is what we could be getting like if we had Omega in the show. Like we could be getting someone who looks to Fennec as quote a surrogate kind of like mother figure and then Boba is technically her brother but also could be like surrogate father figure because she has like five brothers that she's growing up with right now <laughs> technically. So it's-
1: Yeah, she would be... Yeah, she would be older. So yeah, you almost could do it kind of as a family dynamic of like.
0: It would be so weird but it would be cool. Like cuz they're all technically weird, the same be... but
1: Yeah, Phoenix Chan <laughs> this being her right up until the end of the episode when she comes back. Last appearance for a while. I, I right. just want to note how cool she is all yeah, the yeah. time and I love her.
0: Back at the sanctuary, the Pikes confront Boba. He sends out the mayor's major domo to negotiate nothing. During the distraction, they begin their attack. Just as they're about to be overwhelmed, the people of Freetown come to help save the day. The mods show up to help, and we see Chrysanthemum made it back alive. The pikes begin to fall back.
1: If you shipped Boba and Din before this episode, this was a very good episode for you. (laughs) Because, I'm sorry, but... I'm with you until we both fall. That's some, like, fucking wedding vow shit right there. (laughs) That's some old school, like, Mandalorian marriage shit. I
0: think because of the last episode where we left Mando, he doesn't really care about anything anymore because he realizes he had to leave Grogu forever, essentially. So he's like, all right, well, if I die, I die, you know? Oh, shit.
1: Oh oh
0: i wasn't thinking this is like a romantic thing but okay oh. you do I, you.
1: Mean, I mean i i was offhandedly making a joke about how boba den shippers are fed this episode uh, because shipping is very very fun to engage with but now you've mentioned that this whole thing may be about den just not wanting to be alive anymore after grogu yeah. and Now I'm just blankly staring at the map that sits across from my desk, uh, wondering when the happiness will return to my life. (laughs)
0: Well, now, you know, but if you think about it, like, yeah, he's kind of like not, not even depressed. Like he's at the point now where he's like, well, it's okay if I put myself in danger. It's okay if I do all these things because I don't actually have, it doesn't matter if I live. Like if I go out fighting as a warrior, that's better than nothing. So he's kind of like, well, I'm going to go out being a Mandalorian now because that's all I have left.
1: It's interesting that you should say that he has the the mentality of I'm going to go out being a Mandalorian because I want to kind of talk about a different perspective on episode five. Because as you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and there's a lot of different diverse hosts. Mm -hmm. And I've heard some different takes on Mando's relationship with his religion in terms of how people of different backgrounds that didn't necessarily grow up in a specifically Christian background, view the concept of religion and rules. And I specifically want to point out, uh, RuPaul's Padres, when they did episode five, uh, they said some stuff on there that made me think about Den's relationship with the creed in a very different way. They talked about how for some people, the rules aren't restrictions. They're almost kind of freeing in a way. It's a sense of identity to be able to follow them. And I love the conversation between Den and Boba, where Boba's like, you really believe all that that Bantha shit? And Den's like, yeah, I really do. And then Boba says, good. Hmm. Because I think it highlights one, We can say, oh, the armorer is running a cult all day long, which I still believe that she is. That doesn't change the fact that the Mandalorian Creed is important to Din. Right. He has has chosen, he's had multiple chances to not choose this. And most of the times he's gone back to it because it's something that's important to him. And it's also something that Boba has never had. Boba has never had up until this point a sense of honor. He's never had any sort of code to live by. He just did whatever was necessary to get the job done. And that's the way that Django was raising him. So it, it's almost like Boba's envious of Den in a way of being so certain of something when Boba himself only recently discovered the certainty of believing in something. For three lines of dialogue, it's really fucking interesting.
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> you can really dive deep into these shows, you know? It's almost like you have a podcast about them or something.
1: Yes, it's almost like I've ruined my brain. <laughs> yeah, and and I think all this capping off with when Den cocks his gun and says, this is the way. Mm-hmm. I was like, yes this is the way is back motherfuckers this (laughs) phrase is badass again because it's it's den actively making the choice right it's not this is the way and yes i must adhere to this because this is my my cult den is actively made the choice i am going to live by the creed i have made the choice to attach myself to this situation with Boba I am right or die now literally this is the way this is the way and I think that's part of the importance of episode five particularly the first half of it of why did we take so long with the Mandalorians we really needed to dive into in the context of this specific show I said Din is going to need to make a choice and I feel like we're doing setup to inform that choice. Here is where that choice is that he has made to stay with Boba. So that was me over analyzing four lines of dialogue in a children's TV show to talk about uh, the importance of religion to people personally and how complicated it is. Uh, go listen to Rupal Chandra. It's a very good show.
0: Well, let's talk about the major demo first because I don't want to
1: jump yes let us let's talk about the fucking major domo in this scene first of all can we give him a name like he needs a name no
0: no it's it's i think it, i think we should just call him david peskowski because i think that's just what his name is in the show because clearly they don't want to give him a name
1: the joke is that no one gives enough of a shit about him <laughs> to ask what his name what well,
0: his name is just a jive title like he's just like he's like i'm the mayor's major domo that's great He's like, like oh, <laughs> what is
1: that character on Parks and Rec that everyone constantly gets his name wrong? Because they don't... Jerry. Yeah. So, uh, so Gary on Parks and Rec, the guy that they right. don't bother to ever learn his name? Exactly. Yeah, I, I feel like it's that same situation.
0: The mayor... Actually, fun fact, did you know that the major drummer's name is Jerry?
1: I didn't know that, but now that that information has entered my brain, I will immediately forget it. Uh, right. Because it is of no relevance. to me whatsoever
0: so when gary finally goes out and
1: (laughs) And talks to the bike I, i it's just no perfect comic acting like
0: oh it's so he's been so good this whole show i think he just has like just a good a little bit about of comedic timing that you just need like he's he has this character down he does this thing with his hands where he talks with his hands like it's so good. Like and he just knows what he wants to say when he wants to say it just the right, like kind of almost skeezy, kind of like
1: snivelly way. If there's a master class in comic acting and, yeah. and it's it's this character right here. This is how you do it, particularly in the back half of the show. Right. Like, oh, it's so funny. Well, let's talk about his qualifications. Yes. He attended a finishing school. He spills his whole fucking life story. Right. (laughs) Literally just to say, hey, I'm pretty good at negotiating. Also, he raises the valid point. Also, if I go out and genuflect a lot, then you don't have to do it. That's literally my job is to go out and do it so that my boss doesn't have to. When he walks out there, uh the pike refers to him as a tailhead. This was a racist thing that would be said against Twi'leks and Legends, but I think it's the first mentioned uh, interesting in the canon. But he he plays it off well. He's like, oh, huh. thank you for
0: noticing, or something yeah, along those my, lines. My <laughs> next
1: note is I do love the reaction that he yeah. does in Universe because it's such an interesting response to this is to say oh haha i love it every time somebody calls me one of those right
0: yeah it's like he he is kind of showing his degree is worth something because you know what should make him mad as an insult to him i guess makes him go like he can turn it around very quickly and be like ha 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 you're
1: uh, you're so such funny guy like by the way <laughs> No, like, it, you're right, and I hadn't even thought about that, that it, it is probably part of his civic council negotiations, is <laughs> not rising to bait. Right. Uh, he mentions the Obsidian Cliffs of Obadiah. We do see the terrain of Obadiah in Clone Wars Season 7. And then fucking Din and Boba show up. Right. And it is badass as hell. Like they're just out there back to back fighting, fucking shooting rockets and everything, fucking pew pew pew. Like, oh,
0: I thought this is where we were going to get our back to back flamethrower thing. Because when they were back to back, at one point I was like, "Oh, Charles, here it comes, it's coming, I know it's coming." And then it, it comes, didn't happen. But, but, but
1: later, but not yet. Yeah, yeah,
0: not in that way. But I thought it was going to happen, back to back flamethrowers. And. I knew you were going to be so fucking pissed because once I saw them touch backs, so I was like, uh-oh, it's going uh-oh, to happen. And it's he's going coming. to be pissed. <laughs> it's coming.
1: Freetown has shown up. Freetown comes to I know that them. a lot of you thought that I was going to bring up Black Crescent here, uh, but actually we're talking about Freetown.
0: So I didn't know that this, like what I said earlier, this is the part where the Tuscans should have shown up with the people of Freetown. and that's, I agree. This wholehearted that part right here
1: wholeheartedly I... there's
0: nothing wrong with the people of freetown they have no stake in the game other than their favorite their, their, yeah, their
1: marshal is dead
0: the, their fucking like, local sheriff just got the shot local so sheriff like,
1: just got shot it's like yeah i yeah. don't know if
0: that's like enough motivation but sure which like, oh
1: no uh cobb vanth is dead
0: yeah you know i i didn't like how they snuck in that little line right there to to like make sure we knew for a fact like he's been gunned down like really they gunned
1: him down in cold blood is like wow that is sad combat really is dead uh take an episode to more take a moment to mourn and continue the episode but let's 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 take this in
0: the context of like not knowing what we know later on um
1: I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know anything. Uh, this is very, is definitely this, dead. this is
0: very misleading for him to tell that to Mando, like, <laughs> and not explain it. Like, he's like, yeah, they shot him in cold blood and then just continues to go about his day, like, and not clarifying anything else.
1: Well, it's important to note that Mando just says, I'm sorry about the marshal. Uh, he right. doesn't explicitly say, I'm sorry they killed the marshal. Right. So yes, it, it would make sense that uh the guy would just assume uh, Tanti, by the way, is the weak way's name.
0: Well, he's a jerk because he's not telling Mando, who is uh, clearly in a relationship with Cobb Van. That clearly, his boyfriend is clearly
1: dead. your boyfriend's. Your boyfriend's fine right. uh, would have been, or your boyfriend's alive would have been nice. But Chrysanthem, uh, um, my king, just yes. fucking barrels in <laughs> with pikes on him. Hurls one of them off of him, swings around with his cannon and just blast the guy, and I'm like, "Sir."
0: So this scene proves why that uh, him being covered up by a bunch of transitions didn't kill him because um, this dude gets—I I wish I should—I should I have counted it. He literally gets shot, like literally gets shot, like multiple times in this scene.
1: This this is comics black chrysanthemum. Yeah. When I talked about being slightly disappointed by the fight in episode three, because I was like, oh, I've seen comics Kersantan and he's done way more badass stuff. This is what I have been talking about. This is Black Kersantan actually fighting for real. And one thing I do like is that he's not invincible. He takes these hits and yeah, if you've read the comics and stuff, you know that like his skeleton is partially made of metal and he's got all these augmentations. To help him survive longer but like he's limping for a good portion of it he's, right he's literally dragging he's his foot at one point yeah when he's crashing into walls and things like it slows him down i think they walked a wonderful line with Gersantin to where he's not invincible mm-hmm. uh, but he's also like he's not beaten to a complete pulp like he's right. still able to move around uh speaking of him being beaten to a complete pulp uh I I do love the little sequence with him and Boba. I do love that. Because neither of these characters throughout their entire lives has ever expressed any degree of giving a shit about other people. And for them to have this moment where they very clearly have come to respect each other over the course of the show, I really liked. I liked that moment.
0: Well, and you know, it's a good duality with earlier where you know, Cad Bane shows up and Boba's like, hey, uh, you want to join the team? And, you know, you're a little late to the party. You know, because he's so willing to let anybody help him. And then Cad Bane's like, no, I've already got a job. And <laughs> with Chrysantha, and on the other hand, you know, they were quote unquote enemies at first, but now he's helping him out and they actually kind of care about each other slash respect each other, at least. So it's just a nice switch
1: and that's an underlying theme of this show that that you are stronger when you you have a tribe around you that's the lesson that boba takes from the tuscans that's the lesson that he starts applying and where he starts becoming successful remember the pikes are in this completely out of like profit and the people who are joined up with them don't really care about them at all they're just allies of convenience which is why it falls apart so quickly at the end But Boba has taken pains to surround himself with people that know that Boba gives a shit about them. And that makes it so that we're in these situations that are unwinnable situations. Those bonds help them keep going in a way that somebody who doesn't have them wouldn't.
0: Just as the group thinks they have the upper hand, a pair of shielded battle droids show up and begin to overwhelm them. Boba and Mando take on the droids. Mando distracts them while Boba heads out for reinforcements.
1: We'll talk about what the droids are here in, in the next sequence, I believe. But what's important as a fun fact to know is that they are from a reference book, which in turn was drawing from unused concept art for Attack of the Clones. So they basically are derived long way around from Attack of the Clones concept art which is kind of neat. The shields are there and you know, what's fucking useless against the shields. (laughs) You know, what's what's not helpful at all. It's my fucking enemy. My nemesis. The bane of my existence.
0: The cad bane of your existence.
1: The cad bane of my existence. (laughs) The fucking flamethrower shows up.
0: I did say flamethrower fail. Number one. Right here.
1: Oh, it's number one. Cause there's more there's than there's more. <laughs> there's more than actually, this may be the only time we'll will
0: I was gonna say we'll, we'll proceed. I didn't we'll proceed. I didn't really write down noted, every time, but yeah.
1: I no, I have noted every instance of my okay. hated enemy in okay. this. It is down in my notes. Every time that motherfucker showed up on the screen, I added a mark to my tally and took another shot of tequila, which because I was doing this at work in my office was a very awkward experience for everyone around me that was a joke uh i just made a mental note to take a shot of tequila later no the flamethrower is there and useless against the shield obviously thank you den for trying that uh that was not helpful i love the concept that den is i've written down in my notes is, is stupid smart so den in this episode is like yeah, our our laser bolts aren't going to be able to pierce that shield and our kinetic weapons aren't going to have the velocity to get through. And the last episode, he's like, is that a bench? (laughs) (laughs) Somebody, I, I can't remember who, pointed out that Din is a himbo. Yeah. And part of that is he's very smart in his one specific area, which is killing things. And bounty hunting. And everything outside of that, he is a fucking dumbass.
0: Well, I also don't like how what Din does too sometimes is like he likes to try the thing. But then immediately after the thing fails, he's like, let me just try it one more time. Like with the fucking Darksaber, he like hits the energy shield with the Darksaber. And then he's like,
1: huh, that didn't work. Let me try it again. Like, what? Like, what are you doing? Din... Bless him, is, is one of the smarter characters in the Star Wars universe while simultaneously easily being one of the stupidest. I want to address something yeah. to the Star Wars fan base. Listen up Jordan Bulger's little fucking spin that he does around in the scene with him and Kersanton and Sophie Thatcher. You know what I'm talking about, Bradley?
0: Like he like, kind of does like this fancy like, he does spin. The fancy yeah.
1: spin yeah. yeah, yeah. That is camp. You goddamn Philistines. <laughs> that shit was hilarious. Is it stupid? Yes. But this is Star Wars. The over-exaggerated, ridiculous motions are part of the charm. That spin was hilariously it was stupid. And like, camp, the way it works to my understanding, is camp is something that's intended, it has to be intended to be serious, but is funny. Which this spin was to me. Like, clearly it was supposed to be badass. It's not. It's stupid. But it's still amazing. That was notes on a spin. Drash references a growing up a quote-unquote wop-hop, which I guess is just the Tatooine of, way of saying a stone's throw. Did like that when they're taking cover. And this is where we learn that Tanti is the weak way's name. We have an actual name for this person.
0: While Mando is distracting the droid, he runs into Pelimoto. Hilarity and high-speed chase ensues. The mods are pinned down by the other droid, and Mando reunites with Grogu.
1: Which perfect reunion! Perfect
0: another reason. Reunion. Another reason why she is so good in this episode is this whole <laughs> sequence.
1: Lily literally turns up in the middle of the battle. Is like. Hey, Mando, I brought your kid. I got you a surprise. I got you a surprise. And she doesn't, like, immediately tell him the second that they discover that it's a battle. She waits a few more minutes, to, or a few more seconds. Right into, to the, him, into the into the
0: high-speed chase. She's like, oh, by like, the way. Oh, by way. the
1: way, your kid right. is here. No, the little moment where Grogu, like, hops up and then realizes he's wearing the shirt, and it's... The analytical part of my brain is going, this should have been in Mando season three. Why yeah, is this in Book of and, 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 and. But my analytical brain can go fuck itself <sighs> with the biggest fucking thing it can get its hands on because I don't give a shit about my analytical brain in that moment. Yeah. Tim reunited with his son. That's very cute. He's being distracted by the giant Scorponic <laughs> droid chasing them, which by the way, that's what these things are called. Oh. And I find it really funny that Peli is the one that knows what they're called.
0: Well, of course she does. She's a droid expert, so. And a language expert and an alien expert and a everything expert.
1: Look, there's not a lot to do running a shitty garage on Tatooine. Right. All right. She's got a lot of time to spend on Duolingo. Plus, this woman will bang anything in the galaxy, which icon, legend, Uh, we have no choice but to stand. Obviously, she wants to know how to hit on People in multiple species languages. Ch- chase is peak Star Wars.
0: It's very like I feel like this is what the quote unquote we you guys like to joke the the slow speed chase from earlier in the season or whatever. Like this is the high speed chase like that we actually wanted.
1: Yes, this is it. Like this is mm, this is just beautiful. Yeah. Like this brief chase, or it's funny because she's pulling random. She pulls a hammer out of nowhere and hits the droid with it. Uh, <laughs> she pulls a gun out of nowhere. Like, I didn't see it in the cart in the first few shots, and she like just has it. I'm like, this is amazing. I loved this whole thing.
0: The whole sequence, everything. Up next, the taxi cart crashes suddenly, throwing everyone from the cab. Just before the droid gets to them, we hear a faint roar. Boba Fett arrives riding his Rancor, who must not be named apparently, who takes on the droid. While distracted, Mando breaks through the shield and stabs the droid with the Darksaber. He is thrown back and the droid is about to kill him, but not before Grogu saves the day by telekinesis ex machina. The Rancor comes back and finishes the job. The
1: motherfucking Rancor
0: okay so this is probably the best sequence in the whole thing is just all the rancor stuff is
1: pretty fucking sweet i i want to blow by blow go down the rancor fights and explain why they're awesome but i cannot right you just have to sit there and And watch watch it it, and be 10 years old and watch boba fett riding a fucking rancor yeah around so
0: good
1: it's so good when uh when boba is like do it yeah and they it It. rips the droid apart i was like oh this is perfection uh i loved that peliboto like when she crashed and hit the thing spat out a tooth (laughs) and for the rest of the sequence she's missing one of her teeth (laughs) she's so funny I do find like, that it's funny sometime. without
0: being like dumb, but like it's like that's just her character. Like a normal character would have gotten hurt, right? And then wouldn't have made a big deal about it or whatever. They just would have been like, oh, I'm hurt. Like she just has to get hurt in a funny way, like to where she's just like, Oh, the tooth my tooth <laughs> out. Right. Oh my
1: goodness. I love that there's one point where The Rancor is like throwing the pikes around and we hear a Wilhelm scream.
0: Wilhelm scream, yep, from one of the pikes. We do hear a
1: Wilhelm scream. That was excellent. I caught that. Uh, We will return to Grogu and his force powers in a moment because there's another scene that happens later on that I want to really dive into how Grogu is using his force powers in this episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rather, I want to shift our focus to what is happening while the rancor is rampaging and talk about um drash and the one lady that she goes up onto the uh the rooftop with and they're sniping down while boba fett's Mm -hmm. firing so so they're going to become like a couple right
0: i mean officially no
1: Um, but like there are a couple right uh,
0: on fanfic.com forward slash uh, lesbian porn like
1: (laughs) and this is how you know that Bradley has never ever written fan fiction in his life because he doesn't know the actual names uh oh I am I am sure there is fan fiction about these two already and I am here for it because I was definitely getting like oh oh it's a star-crossed lover's thing it's the city girl right the country girl that's what
0: i mentioned earlier was like she's like we came to save your asses basically and then she's like no you didn't you guys are just country people
1: yeah they they you know they've got the long-standing rivalry they listen listen to me lucasfilm i'm i would say i'm available but i don't necessarily would want to be the one to tell this story uh There are plenty of queer women that you can hire. I know several of them. I can provide you a list. Call me. I will give you their names and contact information. Let them write this lovely gay lesbian romance story that clearly is happening here. But they won't because they're fucking cowards.
0: Cowards. While the Maws are taking on the other droid, the Rancor shows up to help take this one down too. Boba is thrown from the Rancor when Cad Bane uses a flamethrower to scare him. The Rancor runs away so we can get our showdown. Boba uses his gaffy stick to take Cad Bane out.
1: Oh, so the flamethrower works when Cad Bane uses it. I I love how
0: that is a thing in this whole entire episode other than Mando using it for a little bit at one point, uh, on the Rancor as well. It really, he's the only one who successfully uses the flamethrower in a nice way. Uh,
1: Mando uses it successfully one time later on. Right. Cad uses it successfully twice. Twice. Uh, yeah. and, and he uses it a third time, but we'll get to that in a second. It's further okay. down in my notes. Yeah. The flamethrower, uh, Actually, no, he uses it three times, only the first time is useful. What's interesting about the the conversation between Boba and Cad Bane, you don't really need to know the history between the two of them to understand the conversation has weight. Like the conversation itself does a good job of communicating that they knew each other when Boba was very young and Cad Bane kind of mentored him. It's not explicitly felt spelled out, and I felt like it should be. This is one thing I was talking about at the top of the episode, where I was like, I feel like they should have introduced him a lot sooner than episode six, or at least mentioned him. Yeah. So that we knew who he was, and this carried some weight. As it stands, it only carries weight if you know about an unreleased starts from the Clone Wars.
0: And also that he mentions, like he's like, Your father's blood runs through your veins. Like, and it's like,
1: well, like yeah it, i and, thought that was interesting that he mentioned Django in the context of being like a, a ruthless like, killer
0: right and also it kind of also implies that he knew Django too well he did it, he yeah. did
1: in the clone wars episode where boba oh no it wasn't hondo i'm confusing him with hondo oh
0: hondo well, mentioned like, he knew Django outside of the visual media like if you only let's just say you haven't even seen any of the animated shows you don't know that Cad Bane knows Django this you will be the mean? thing like,
1: Charles didn't research
0: this so I did think it was kind of researched. cheap but I again yeah it's, it's something they should have mentioned earlier on that they like Cad Bane was his mentor and that they did this stuff I get that they were trying to be secretive and like not show Cad Bane until the finale and stuff but it's like come on guys it's like are we past this point of keeping can, secrets? Can we like not can we Wars?
1: not do this? Can you just tell us what's in the show, please? Uh Flamethrower, he tries to use it again in his fight with Django. It is does not help really all that much. Did I just say Django instead yes, of Boba? You did. Okay. I mean, technically, if you want to nitpick the point.
0: Technologically, uh... if
1: if uh Boba like uh like dodges out of the way of it they scuffle i i thought it was very nice because cad bane was trying to be like oh you know you've grown weak you rely on other people yada 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 uh once again star wars explained alex damon pointed this out in his review he said it was what does boba fett kill cad bane with it's the gaffey stick yeah it's the symbol of his relationship with his community yeah with his his found family, is what he actually uses to kill Cad Bane. And that is a neat touch. He kills Cad Bane with it because the flamethrower that Cad Bane tries to use on him is fucking useless.
0: (laughs) I also want to mention, too, like, when he's talking to Boba, I thought he was going to name drop Omega, like, randomly, because he's going all into his past, and he was like, well... Your father, this, and when you were a kid that. Like I swore, like him and Fennec both have met Omega. So I don't understand why neither one of them has brought up Omega yet. It doesn't make any sense. Uh so clearly he fails, uh in whatever season two of Bad Batch because he never mentions Omega again. Because it yeah, wasn't I don't very I don't memorable. know if
1: we'll see Cad Bane in the Bad Batch again. I find it an interesting point that uh Cad Bane keeps being like, oh, you're just a killer, you're just a killer, you're just a killer. Like, being honorable and being willing to straight-up murder people who are trying to murder you are mutually exclusive things. It's like, Cad Bane, my dude, uh, he can still be honorable and stab you to death when you have shot at him repeatedly.
0: Well, that's true, but I also think i hate when shows do this too because i did actually kind of find this disturbing was that he goes you're a killer you're nothing but a killer you always be a killer just like a father you know like basically is what he said and then boba proves him right by being a killer and killing him like technically you would think that the arc that boba has is that he wouldn't kill cad Bane, right he would be like no 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 i just defeated you i'm a good guy now i don't kill people technically like that's that should be the arc
1: yeah, I think it it shows the direction they've gone with Boba Fett's character in that we see a few times that he's honorable now, but he is perfectly willing to waste people who attack him. Yeah, and the deal is you have to have attacked him first, but by this point, he's not going to give Cabin a second chance. Yeah. He knows he knows what's going to happen, so uh, he, right. he just stabs him which i mean fair
0: okay so let's talk about the stabbing yes because the
1: stabbing with the gaffy stick
0: the stabbing he is stabbed he's lying there they do a really cute you know slow zoom out on his body and then his little transponder thing is still beeping which i thought yeah. was interesting
1: so, once again, stars Explained, Alex Damon, thank you for providing me all of the material for this episode, by the way, uh, <laughs> Alex. Um, pointed out that he turned on the audio descriptor for the episode to see if it would give any clues to, like, what was important in the scene. Yeah. And the audio descriptor of the episode does actually mention, it's sure to mention the blinking red light.
0: So... In my head canon now, what that means is that that is some kind of either a warning or signal or something to someone, a.k.a. Toto, his little robot, to come get him so that he can be saved. Um, Because if this man is 71 years old and is still kicking around the galaxy, and I'm sure he's gotten into pretty some hairy situations, you know, maybe not as much as being stabbed in the literal heart or whatever he gets, wherever he gets stabbed but i mean you know, where are the
1: Duros's hearts anyway like what yeah, got punctured may, there
0: yeah maybe it was just a lung or something we don't know you know what i mean like or maybe it's not necessarily a fatal wound and he's just kind of like laying there to hopefully maybe he just blacked out or something and then toto comes and saves him fixes him up and then he comes back for season two for revenge
1: i think that one theory that was brought up which i sort of think is accurate is that the way that they're doing it is if this is his death it's a perfectly acceptable way for him to go out right if they decide to bring him back the red light is sort of a a a crack in the door they've left open right
0: just in case yeah just Just in in case case. just in case Absolutely. if it works we'll bring him back if not then he's just dead forever it's fine
1: yes so i i would prefer they didn't bring him back i kind of like this to be the way he goes out We'll see at Star Wars, somehow people return. I don't know. Yeah,
0: I, I kind of feel like, I mean, this is the one situation where we do see the body. So I'd like, you know, my rule is always, if you don't see the body, then they're just alive and it's fine. But technically we see his body. So I can't be like, well, I almost feel like this should have been the end credit scene was somebody getting his body and pulling it away. And then see, like, that I had a thing.
1: I had an interesting thought because you had, I believe, previously theorized that Cad Bane was the one who approached either you or me. Had theorized that Cad Bane had approached Finnick in the desert, yes. and that's Cad Bane in *The Mandalorian*.
0: Yeah, that's why I said yeah.
1: I think it would be interesting if the same thing happened to Cad Bane that happened to Finnick, like we saw somebody. 100%. Now we do have a post-credit scene of somebody coming back from quote-unquote, near death, and yeah. having a, a major change, but we'll get to that, and it's not Cad Bane. Right. But I do Which, think it would have been interesting yeah. if they had done something similar with somebody walking up on Cad Bane's body.
0: It would have been a cool parallel if you did the same thing, right? So you would have him lying there, and then you had some random person. Like, now we really don't know who it is popping up to save Cad Bane. Like, it would have been interesting to kind of do that parallel.
1: On the one hand, it would be cool. On the other hand, now that I think about it, i'm like uh i do kind of like how open-ended they left it yeah to where i really do like that if this is the ending this is the ending
0: okay here's my here's my new parallel ending okay. so we see cad bane there lying um his transponder is still a little is until making a little beep we see the little feet of toto walk up and he kind of like checks to make sure and he looks up and he looks up at somebody and he's like i don't think he's breathing or something like that <laughs> da, 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 da. And he's like we need to get him back to the med pod or whatever and then the other person walks up and you see their feet and they start to go down to like pick him up we don't see who they are and they walk away that person is one of the members of the bad batch for no reason oh my so- god <laughs> For no reason whatsoever. It's I, I can't
1: done. wait for us to get Bad Batch season two, so you will shut up with these theories. <laughs> Not everything is from Bad Batch is going to show up.
0: Ah. I know. All right, let's move on. After the showdown, the Rancor is still on the loose, destroying the city. The Rancor gives us a King Kong moment, and we get a quick section of Mando riding the Rancor. Just before he's eaten, Mando flamethrowers the inside of baby Rancor's mouth, And just before he's about to die again, Grogu calms him down, and they take a nap together.
1: Yeah, it's gone full fucking King Kong. Like, it's
0: it's almost the same shot.
1: It's it's yeah, like he goes to the tallest building, he climbs up it.
0: I'm surprised he didn't grab Grogu and did that. Like, how funny would that have been if he had been he like randomly grabs Grogu and then starts climbing a building, and then he's just like, (laughs) it would have been perfect.
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, he almost kind of holds Mando in that similar way to the right. way Kong holds. Uh, I can I cannot remember for the life of me the character's name. I know one of the virgins is played by Jessica Lang.
0: Yeah, a woman. I cannot remember usually, the character's yeah.
1: name. The, the woman that he holds in the right. film. Uh, yeah, full on King Kong. And I loved it. I love that Mando gives Grogu the ball, the little ball, mm-hmm. and says, hold on to this. It's like, oh, he kept the ball. He kept his little ball from the razor crest that we saw him pluck out of the, the wreckage in Mando season two. The flamethrower is here.
0: You, you know, like flamethrower?
1: I, I I will give it to the flamethrower for this time. The flamethrower was useful to stop the rancor from eating him in this instance by frightening the rancor away. Gotcha. Did not appear to hurt the Rancor at all, but I don't think Den was trying to do that.
0: No, I think he was just trying to stop him from doing what he was doing. Because because earlier in the scene, he does say, like, stop shooting him. You know, he's like, hey, that's what's making him mad. Like, don't do that. You're only making him more angry, making him more crazy. Like, so stop shooting at him. Just let him, like, kind of do his own thing.
1: It is interesting. One of the complaints that I had about episode six was I was like, why are we spending so much time on Grogu?" Why Why is this taking up the vast majority of the episode? And I realize now that part of the reason for that was this sequence. That Bobo was going to be separated from the Rancor. The Rancor was going to go on a rampage. Somebody had to calm it down. If it wasn't Danny Trejo, it had to be someone using the Force. And that someone had to be Grogu. So it was important that we saw in his episode with Luke that he does receive a basic level of training. Remember I said we would bring up the Force thing again? Mm -hmm. Previously, Grogu kind of lashed out with the Force. He didn't really have a lot of control over it. Now we're seeing that thanks to his training with Luke, he's not a Jedi Master, He's not even at the level of a Padawan, really. But he's got some level of control over his own abilities. Mm -hmm. He knows what he can do with them, and he knows how to tap into them. Which we see him use it to very specifically target part of the droid. He didn't stop the whole droid, he just stops one leg. Right. We see him calm down the Rancor by connecting through it through the Force. Which I think is also an interesting... Thing in terms of you know how they're both predators, so maybe that's how they relate to each other because they're both constantly eating things that are smaller than them. <laughs> but that I think was the importance of the Grogu steps. We needed to see him reach a point where he could do this. Right. Also, it's adorable.
0: I was going to say if we don't get like all kinds of figures of yeah, like, like Funko sleeping Pop. Rancor, <laughs> Baby yeah, Yoda. like,
1: Bo- Baby Yoda with sleeping Rancor.
0: Yeah, I know. I'm like, hmm, definitely something they could do.
1: I noticed in this sequence that Mando has knee rockets. I never noticed that he had those before, huh. but he also has knee rockets. My final note on the sequence is, no, Pelly, you cannot barbecue the Rancor. <laughs> this is a reaction to everything big that is can I eat it? No, Pelly, you cannot eat it.
0: Um, I I did want I, we did kind of skip over it, but Pelly saves the major, uh, the major dumb. Oh over. yeah. Um, I didn't want to forget her uh, because that scene is really fucking funny, and she's like, "Get over here, pretty whatever." She says <laughs> like, "Oh like, yeah, nice headtails or something." Like, like that. What did she say?
1: She's like, "Nice hand tails, take cover behind me, pretty boy," or something yeah. like that. And I'm like,
0: I can't. I cannot. But she Amazing. just wants to she just wants to fuck everything.
1: Like she is an icon. icon. She is a legend. She is incredible and we have no choice but to stand. We
0: cut to the head of the Pike Syndicate who has the rest of the crime bosses in a tizzy as they are mad that they are losing this war. One by one, each of the leaders is assassinated with the mayor's assassination being particularly gruesome and Fennec pops up behind the Pike leader, taking him out.
1: I'm sorry, you mean Master Assassin Fennec fucking Shan? <laughs> she really does prove did, why Did we she's a master Did assess. we forget that that's her title? I, that's, that's true, I think we thing? did. Like, she is a Master Assassin. She really is. She takes this whole group out the in like group. 0.2 seconds. The fucking mayor when she like hangs him
0: so i i noted that like do those things even have a neck like you know what i mean like it's pretty much just their body and then their face kind of comes off their body like it's like such a weird like design how does she hang this dude like
1: uh it does kind of have a neck like it comes down into his i know Uh, it's just funny how
0: he's just oddly shaped like how she was able to do that like
1: I could describe to you in detail what I think is happening above the camera shot, but I really don't want to do this on this podcast. Right. I really don't. All we have to know is it's suitably horrifying. Yes. This is the Fennec Shand solution to problems. Uh, I, I do think this scene really highlights the main difference between the Pikes and Boba because it shows finally and definitively that they were nothing more than an alliance of convenience. They they were only together for the purpose of get exploiting Mas Espa. and when that became too difficult, the Pikes were going to abandon them mm-hmm. because the Pikes never cared about the crime bosses.
0: Right? They were like, "Ah, eh, this is too much work. We can make money eh. elsewhere." Yeah.
1: Yeah, Tatooine. You only promised us Tatooine because you said Tatooine would be easy. Half of my people got eaten by a rancor right <laughs> like what are you what do you want us to do here right yeah this scene was horrifying uh this scene was brutal uh this scene was intense i loved every second of it it was very cathartic
0: i did like it and it was a fitting like it's nice that Finnick got to do something in this episode I, albeit it was a very quick scene but I guess we could argue that she makes quick work, so.
1: Yeah, Fennec Shan doesn't mess around. In the
0: last couple sequences, the fighting has ended and Moss Espa begins repairs from the damage. The people all seem to regard Boba for removing crime from the city. Boba and Fennec decide they might not be suited for this life. And Mando and Grogu speed off into season three.
1: I do love the sequence when Boba's like, oh, maybe we aren't suited for this. And Finnick raises the excellent point of, well, if we're not going to do it, then who's going to do it?
0: So this is where I, I have two problems with the episode. One is you all just spent the whole fucking show trying to be the leaders of this goddamn city. And now you're just like, I don't know if I really want to
1: do it. Yeah, it, it reads to me like Boba has settled, like he's he's actually in the role that he's wanted to be in the whole time. And he's like, oh man, I don't know if I can like adjust to this.
0: Yeah, he's like, I don't know if I and, like those.
1: And Fennec is like, well, it's not, I don't know if I like this, because he very clearly likes it.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, it's, it's different. He's
1: like, it's yeah. different. And I don't know if I could do it. And Fennec is like, well, we're kind of the the people that are here yeah so but Finnick has fortunately come around you know at the very beginning she was like you need to rule through fear and now she's like actually I'm pretty chill with being respected and loved yeah I, I,
0: I don't know I felt like this this scene this final scene left a bad taste in my mouth for the whole show because I felt like it resolved nothing and we didn't get any kind of like end game on what these characters are going to be doing for the, the foreseeable future because yeah, they said that.
1: I, I I think the beat where they're all together, which is a very nice beat to end on. Like I really do like that beat where they stand there and they're... Yeah,
0: and they're messing I around think, with chrysanthemum and stuff. But
1: That was great. Like they've come together, but we aren't allowed any time to spend time with them now that they've coalesced into a unit. The whole show has been about Boba putting his family together. I would have preferred one more scene maybe of them in the palace to contrast the opening scene from the show where the palace was empty. I would have preferred one more scene where we see those same rooms, but they have the mods in them. They have Chrysanthemum in them.
0: Well, I also feel like this would have been a perfect opportunity to show us that Max Rebo is alive and well because he would have been in the palace yes. performing for them or something. Exactly. Like that's what this they needed. That's why that's I'm saying like they I just left to... a weird taste on my mouth because we didn't get that scene.
1: I don't know if it's possible that that COVID delays may have changed the shooting around. That might have been the original intention. Mm. I mean, I do like that they ended a shot of the whole group together because you look at them. And also the rat catcher who is there for some reason. For no reason. It makes for no sense why there. For no reason the rat catcher is there. You look at them and you're like, oh, neat. That's a fun cast. Can't wait to watch that show.
0: Yeah. It's, and what I don't like, too, is that they don't end on this scene. The next scene is of Grogu and Mando and they're the quote unquote final scene. I mean, even though we get a cut scene later on, but it's still like, this is technically the final, final scene is Grogu and Mando going off into season three.
1: Again, my analytical brain does not like it for the same reasons. I I get what the intention is, is they want to transition us from the Book of Boba Fett back into the Mandalorian with Grogu and Den off right. on a new adventure. The adventure continues. Yes, we get to see Grogu in the Naboo Starfighter, which is adorable, but uh yeah for the same reason it didn't really land for me i i feel like they should have ended with boba right that the scenes almost should have been reversed mm-hmm. even that would have been a little bit better
0: slightly better yeah
1: did you did you notice the end credits have lyrics now
0: i didn't notice that I was just uh, yes. i was too focused on the fact that i felt like there was going to be an end credit scene so i was like Okay, we got to wait for the end credits. I wasn't paying attention. I
1: I won't tell you what the lyrics are, uh, but the end credits have lyrics now. Interesting. I did also like that they pulled a couple of relevant pieces of concept art to put alongside some of the major players. It felt very the end the end credits of Return of the King for me. Not as earned as the end credits of Return of the King are, but it was neat that they had ming na wen's name next to a picture of ming na i see what you're they saying had saying. pedro pascal on pedro pascal they All didn't right. do it for everybody but it generally lined up and i thought that was cool yeah uh the post-credit scene sure is there and i have i have a major gripe with this scene
0: i, I have thoughts because it... i have
1: a major gripe with this scene a giant problem with this uh and i need to just lay it out okay there is a massive gaping plot hole in this scene. And, and it's a real plot hole this time. Okay. So Boba Fett, when we see him in the back to tank, is never wearing a shirt. Ugh. And when we see Cobb Bant in the back to tank, listen to me, this is important. When we see Cobb Bant in the back to tank, he is wearing a shirt. And I want to know why, why is timothy oliphant not shirtless in this scene
0: because cowards
1: please explain robert because you directed this episode please explain robert where where my shirtless timothy oliphant is yeah
0: i'm looking i'm looking at the screenshot now first of all he's in a turtleneck
1: yeah yeah what's going on there Robert? not even
0: okay so let's let's ignore the fact that he's wearing a shirt he's so the problem is that he's not naked in this tank so that's the main problem he's not shirtless he's not naked not only is he not naked he's wearing a full
1: turtleneck
0: covering his whole entire body except for his
1: head that is my issue with this sequence is Cobb is wearing a shirt uh, and that is a a major lore error I don't care if it's a jumpsuit or whatever um, please correct uh, for future releases this grievous grievous error
0: let's talk about what this scene means so two things one is we see the um the modifier and that obviously means like okay he's going to quote unquote save him by adding modifications to him hopefully they're not intense enough to like really change him like like he did he didn't have his hand cut off so he's not gonna have like a mechanical arm or something like that he's not gonna hopefully it's like fennec where it's like he just has a you know, intestinal. He has wires system, in but, his
1: shoulders now, right, or
0: something, yeah, or wherever he was shot. There's going to be some kind of like plate or something, right? So not only does he going to have these modifications, is he going to be like the Inspector Gadget of Star Wars now? Like he's going to be like all robot on the inside, and it's going to be like this weird ass like Inspector that's Gadget. What I'm kind of
1: wondering. I'm like, I'm watching the scene. I'm like. Where are they going with this? Yeah, is what this are this they trying a, to do? Is this going to be a plot point in Mando season three? Is is this going to be a plot point in in another Boba Fett show? Like, are they going to resurrect Rangers of the New Republic and and give it to Cobb Vanth instead? Which I would not be mad about.
0: Which I think is a better choice. Now that I think about it, like that is the show that you need to do if you're going to do it. If you want to still do this Rangers show, like he's the one to lead the show. Hmm. i think what
1: does what does it mean
0: i know it's such a strange end credit scene i mean my only thought is that the covid delays did kind of change everything and then this is like a nice like little teaser like ha 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 he's alive but like is it really necessary that we know that like we could have just said call actually no it is
1: It is extremely necessary that we are aware that Cobb Vanth is still alive.
0: You don't think they could have just played it off for a whole year and then we would have found out in season three of Mando that he's alive? I
1: mean, like, they could have, (laughs) but I am glad that we do know that Cobb Vanth is at least alive. Now, the question is, what is going to happen? Because it almost feels like they're setting him up to be a more major character going forward.
0: It's important, but I, you know what I felt like would have been a better end credit scene for this show? Would have been two things. One would have been the Tuscan Warrior, something with the Tuscan Warrior to show that she's still alive, etc. Right? Like something along those lines where like maybe they'll come back and there's another plot point for season two. That could have been one thing. My second thing is something having to do with the twins. I think they Mm. should have shown the twins back on Nalhada or whatever and like, oh something's going on in Tatooine and they're like hmm maybe we should reassess going back to Tatooine and then they bring the rest of the huts there you know what I mean that would set up like a season two kind of situation
1: right I I really truly am wondering what direction they're going with this yeah. because I also know that they're making it up as they go along <laughs> yeah it's not like you can make
0: Cobbman like a villain or something you know what I mean like there's no like it doesn't work like so I don't know how they're gonna
1: do it yeah this is Definitely, much to ponder about this scene. Uh, I will yeah. be focusing my mental energy on why is Cobbmanth wearing a shirt and how do we get it off of him? All right, Bradley, give us our directed by and written by.
0: Yes, well, you kind of already alluded to this. Uh, directed by Robert Rodriguez, written by John Favreau. Uh, naturally. Naturally.
1: Yes, naturally. No, I'm I thought
0: shocked.
1: <laughs> this was this was probably Robert Rodriguez's best episode out of all of them like this is the one where he was clearly saving all of his energy for Mm -hmm. so i didn't have a problem really with the direction of this episode john favreau and noah clore i'm not letting noah clore off the hook as as the staff writer for this show but primarily john favreau i i think i agree with ek johnston who said that they needed to hire writers it didn't need to just be john Fabric cuz a lot of the issues with the show overall and we'll talk about it in a recap episode a lot of the issues could have been hammered out with a few other writers in the writers room
0: and that's what i that's what people don't understand about tv shows is that it does it's never one person you know what i mean no, and it's unfortunately it's never one person in this situation though it feels like it was one person <laughs> so yeah and it feels yeah. like
1: it feels like it was one person and it feels like the errors i won't say errors right
0: the choices the
1: the choices that are made that were not great ring out more glaringly because it is one singular voice right like we look at the example of the original trilogy versus the prequel trilogy the original trilogy lucas had people around him that were contributing especially with empire lee bracket lawrence kasdan both did a lot of work in contributing to making empire what it is Mm -hmm. the prequel trilogy where george basically wrote whatever he wanted definitely the most george but also the the flaws in george lucas's writing were way more apparent in the prequel trilogy because he wasn't he didn't have other people around him to help him refine it and i feel like this is the same way like I'm not sure how much impact Noah Clore actually had on the scripts, whereas he was just writing things that John told him to write or whether or not there was any discussion. But I feel like a lot of the issues we have with this episode, and we'll get into the series overall, could have been alleviated if they'd run John Favreau's ideas and stories through a few other voices.
0: Yeah, I almost feel like they needed to have like, so if John has like the first draft, then he would have written it. He would have passed it along to, you know, the second team and the second team would have done a pass at the, you know, the show. And then the third team or whatever, those the group essentially would have like been like, OK, how can we make this better? How can we do this, this, this? Then they would have sent it back to John, who would have been like, oh, yeah, that would have been a smarter idea. Oh, yeah, that makes more sense. Make and then finalize it
1: make it a collaborative process exactly it'll it'll be better for it like in this episode this episode really highlighted a lot of the issues where it's like you you needed to run it through a few more passes with a few more people absolutely to get eyes on it uh which is not to say that i think john favreau is a bad writer i think that john favreau is a pretty good writer the problem is the show just needed more writers and this episode in particular really highlighted that fact all right, Bradley, do you want to give us your final thoughts first? Um, yeah, so
0: my final thoughts are, I think, overall, great episode. It it tied up certain plot lines that needed to be tied up, and then it left a lot of other things um, <laughs> <laughs> to, uh, to open that didn't need to be opened, and then also introduced things that I wasn't expecting, like, a peli moto major domo romance that i didn't know we needed but there you go um overall i thought it was great i did like i did think that overall though it did have mando in it but not as much as the last two episodes to the point where it was overwhelming for me i felt like he was in it just enough to support and grogu was in it just enough to support and slightly take over but not too much I think it was okay, but it was just the right amount of Mando this time, not too much. And I love the Rancor, more Rancor. Hopefully, we get more Rancors in Star Wars.
1: You just want Night Sisters.
0: I absolutely want to see a bunch of ladies riding Rancors.
1: Yes. My final thoughts are I always judge Star Wars by the metric of I ask myself, is it fun? First and foremost, primarily, is it fun beyond anything else? And in that, this episode definitely succeeded. And I think that's a large part of why I felt like the landing was stuck in terms of the overall series that we had some gripes with a a lot of the earlier episodes, but the show did leave me on a good note. And I think a lot of it is because this episode is fun. It's got character moments. It's got character beats. It's got some great action. It's got some really inventive action for Star Wars. So I enjoyed it overall. I think in terms of the, a lot of the issues with it that I have with it are going to be issues that relate to the entire series as a whole, which we will get to when we do the recap episode. So overall, I liked it. I thought it was a very fun finale. And um, let's take a break from this time period for a while and do something else. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think that's one of my, I I guess I didn't mention that in my final thoughts and we'll probably talk about it more in the recap. But yeah, I think I'm kind of done with this era like for a while. I I, want to like, because I feel like this is such a hard era to do is the in-between time between the new era, the Disney era, I'll call it, and the classic trilogy. Like, I feel like it's such a tough thing to live up to because you're dealing with old stuff and you're trying to fit in new stuff it's like just give us the new stuff for a little bit like it's fine like we don't need to have an easter egg every five seconds like i want you guys to breathe and just write a story
1: yes let's uh let's check here and see what the next show is just to make sure it's not going to be full of of stuff we already know right Uh, let me google here real fast uh which show is coming up hopefully uh with the new character
0: Right, brand uh, new character. Some, some new
1: locations. Uh, Takes so place after pulling, Rise
0: of Skywalker. <laughs> so I'm
1: just pulling up here real fast. Uh Oh.
0: Oh no. Oh,
1: Bradley, I've got some bad news for you about the show debuting on May 25th. Oh no. I have some bad news uh, about <laughs> what the tone of that show is going to be and how right. many characters we've seen before.
0: On that note.
1: On that note, Yes. Uh, Next week, we are going to do our whole season uh, recap of the Book of Boba Fett season or series. They're a little vague at present. Uh, And then after that, we are going to take a week off and then we will be back with something special for the gap in the The middle. The gap that we once again have to fill. Uh, star wars podcasting is fun guys
0: thank you for listening to gold squadron gaze
1: did we forget something email us at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com you can follow us on twitter at gold Squad gaze and you can follow us on instagram and tiktok at gold gaze. subscribe to us on youtube at gold squadron gaze where we post this podcast as well as exclusive video content
0: Please join us next week and every week for another episode of Gold Squadron Gaze.
1: I started thinking about Ewan McGregor with salt and pepper hair, like just a little bit of attractive gray in his hair, and my legs, you know, they just started moving apart on their own, completely unbidden. (laughs) I don't know what's happening there.